0: Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Current Account Podcast. Today we are here to discuss a topic that you would hear most banks murmur and discuss about and they have a few more weeks to submit what they think about it to the Reserve Bank of India. The topic that we're referring to here is expected credit loss or ECL, a circular or a discussion paper that the regulator brought in place a few weeks back is going to be a very, very important one for the banking system because it would sort of set the tone on how much money that one would need to set aside against bad loans. To discuss the implications of ECL, we have with us Arun Kumar Iyer, who's a Senior Director at Crystal Market Intelligence and Analytics. Welcome to the podcast, Arun. Hi, Arun. We've been hearing about ECL for a very long time. It's been doing the rounds for almost a month now. What exactly is ECL and why is the RBI looking and implementing it on Indian banks at this juncture?
1: I'll explain in two parts, but I think I'll take the first question in terms of what is exactly an ECL. I know the papers are all over it. There is a discussion paper that has been published by RBI as well. So let's look at how today uh, the provisioning happens in the banking books as we speak. Mm -hmm. So the banking book today, once the loan goes actually bad, that is after 90 days of overdue, Mm -hmm. which is called the incurred loss approach. Mm -hmm. It is then when we start provisioning for the loan. Mm -hmm. So effectively, the default is a lagging indicator of the credit risk, right, and takes place usually over after 90 days when actually the borrower has become overdue. Well, yes. whereas uh, if you look at ECL, it's a forward looking perspective and the way it is computed is accounted for is based on that the expected loss that is likely to occur on a loan or a portfolio of loans. It is based on the potential future losses mm. and recognize those losses in the financial statements. Mm. And expected credit loss has two components. One is your probability of default and then you have the loss given default.
0: Yes. If you
1: multiply these two, what it gives you is a probability weighted estimate of all present value of the cash shortfalls from an instrument. This resulting value is the expected loss for each loan. This is like, you know, I'm driving a car on the road, and today what I do is I take the rear view mirror and see you know what I'm doing and trying to also go forward. Whereas here it says, is what is done is done. Now you look forward and you say, well, how much is going to estimate? What is going to be a challenge for you? So look ahead and start driving it, is where RBI is coming from, and that's where ECL is more of a forward looking or a lead uh, indicator whereas the current uh, IRAC norms are lagging indicators
0: fair point i presume this is also to get indian banks uh, in sync with uh, the Basel 3 norms especially on the accounting front we are yet to adapt indas uh, for our banking system and ecl will take us a step closer
1: you're absolutely right. I think from the accounting standard perspective, we are almost there and it's about the banks also looking at their loan books and the capital books and the financial instrument from that perspective. Mm. Uh, you also asked me a question on why RBI is looking at implementing it now.
0: Yes. Right.
1: See, uh, Today, the, as I said, we have an incurred loss approach in accounting for the losses on the loans. Today, uh, a credit risk provisioning has two components to it. One mm. is what we expect as a loss and what mm. we don't expect as a loss. Mm-hmm. So typically, banks who understand what is expected as a loss, they will either mitigate it by uh, uh, good policies or risk pricing and provisions. Mm-hmm. And the unexpected loss is where is addressed to the regulatory capital, which is where the Basel II and the Basel III come into play. Okay. The problem here is since the loan becomes overdue and we classify it only after 90 days, it can lead to some significant delays, where at the time when the default is recognized, there is a significant loss that would have already happened. And Mm. it will be very difficult for us to uh, predict or recover from there. And what will happen is then it is going to impact your scope of your capital. While you are expected to price it well, you already lost the chance to price it well Mm. because you're going to do it after 90 days. And hence, to mitigate that, there is a lot of impact on the capital that is maintained by the bank, which could potentially leave them vulnerable to the materialization of these unexpected losses and potentially could increase the probability of the bank failure also. What RBI is trying to do is Strengthen the capital uh, base there because you are anyway looking at a forward-looking approach Mm -hmm. in terms of the ECL. So you are able to take the corrective action as early as even today if you feel there is a potential uh, deterioration of the credit risk. That can be done. Whereas in the current scheme of things, while I may be aware, the policy allows you to classify only after 90 days.
0: Fair enough. enough. Before we go further, there's there's this thing I need to ask you. So NDFCs have been adopting uh, ECL norms for almost two years now. In fact, a little over two years now. Um, But colloquially, uh, when we talk to them either on earnings call or on a one-on-one basis, the term that they still use is gross NPA. You didn't mention about how the current system of accounting for banks is very different from what ECL will be. But is it also to say that when we go to ECL, when we start adopting ECL, the numbers will be more depictive of the pain that is there in the books? compared to what is now, what is your experience as far as NBFCs are concerned? For instance, if somebody is going to report, let's say a gross stage three at 2.6, would you take it at face value? That is my question by and large.
1: Okay, in the current scheme of things, and especially in the context of NBFCs, uh, whether gross NPA would be the right uh, term, may may not be, I'll tell you the reason why. We call it out as a stage three, at mm-hmm. le- and as per the ECL norms that we are saying here,
0: mm-hmm. a
1: stage 3 means there is a clear objective evidence of impairment at the reporting date.
0: Correct.
1: Right. So you need to compute a lifetime expected credit loss and the interest is calculated at the net carrying moment, which is net of the credit elements, which potentially mm-hmm. means this is as good as in your today's IRAC terms, 90 days overdue becomes a GNP. whereas mm-hmm. under <clears throat> ECL. I'll mm. give you an example where assume that I'll simplify it for you. Where I say that you know I have four borrowers, three of them are thirty-day overdue, and one is 90-day. in ninety-day. In my traditional IRAC scheme of things, the ninety-day overdue will be called as a NPA, GNP. Mm. Whereas in an ECL. It gives me the wherewithal where if I understand there is credit requirement, even in this 30 day book or any one of the 30 day book out of the three I'm holding, I will move it to a stage three. Okay. Which means my GNP could be much higher than what it is. Today. Okay. So obviously this means that if you're moving towards ECL, it's going to have higher impact on the capital, at least on the short run.
0: Great. Yeah. We will come to the capital part of it a little later. But uh, how is it going to help the banks? Like For instance, now as we are taking a very uh, progressive real-time approach, when banks go for capital raise, will it improve their uh, as- asking rates? Uh, will it improve the perception in the global arena? What is the net-net advantage that banks are going to get out of e Because from our conversation so far, it could be a cost incurring excess exercise rather than a cost benefiting exercise
1: no good question there and i think i'll go back to what you stated Rahamsen, about a couple of minutes back
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: we're all moving towards indian accounting standards in days right yeah. and it's from the ifrs scheme of things the way you're going to report your accounting and the balance sheets are going to change significantly from the way we have been doing traditionally right then mm-hmm. is it right to then look at the way currently we are following especially in terms of the loss provisioning which mm-hmm. is such an important aspect and which goes hand in hand with the banking lending aspects as well. So, ECL loss provisioning by the banks is an important step towards the eventual shift to the Indian accounting standards. What I mean by that is there is going to be improvement in the financial metrics because the way you're going to look at profitability, capital cushions, the adoption of data analytics should all help the banks move smoothly towards a new framework. The way you're even valuing some of your financial assets is going to change in IFRS compared to what it is today in a traditional Mm -hmm. way of accounting. If you're looking at that, ECL could be the only way in which you're able to absorb and understand and translate the eventual uh, change in the accounting system and also benefit from those new nuances that we are going to bring in from the financials uh, uh, that are going to be reported. Fair enough.
0: Fair enough. So this is a step towards uh, possibly more information dissemination as well?
1: It is. It is. It's certainly a step towards uh, information dissemination as well. It is just that I think uh, we Uh, Regulators have always been very good in terms of managing the entire, uh, you know, uncertainty in the markets in terms of how it is. They just want the banks to be a bit more prepared before the eventual shift happens. So it's about the journey that's begun to ensure that we are moving towards that positively.
0: Great, great. We have time till the end of this month uh, for uh, those interested to give in the feedback to RBI. I've been doing a little bit of talking around with banks. I'm sure you you would have also heard feedback from banks. One thing that seems to sort of uh, be uh, making rounds is on uh, a PD. Uh, do we consider the defaults that have happened during COVID also in our estimation or not? And, and I also uh, think that this is going to be a very bank-to-bank kind of an exercise. Each of them can have their own framework within which they want to create the recognition norms. There is a lot of uh, that way freedom for banks to work around it. What is the feedback that you've heard? Where is it that most of the banks have expressed concerns with respect to adopting ECL? Okay,
1: I'll touch upon the PD part a bit later in terms of what we want to look at. I think that the, one of the most important challenges that I've heard across from most of the banks, which is a reality is the data quality and availability of data on loans, which Absolutely. could potentially also include the PD part of it. That's one. Second, uh, the building of the ACL model itself for mm. complex products and portfolios. That's number two. Mm. right? And the third, if you see the discussion paper that's been brought in, it's typically mm. like a model they treat where they're saying somebody has to develop a model and somebody has to validate it you can go around and get the validation done by somebody who's independent of the model development yes so i think the validation of the ecl model and also ensure it is back tested it is accurate and reliable i think it's it's a journey that you need to traverse across because it's not going to be simple for the banks to kind of convince uh, the regulators as well the fourth mm-hmm. is today uh, within the bank the skill set and the expertise that we're looking at the internal expertise with knowledge of ecl is going to be challenging because people have to scale up upskill themselves or it needs to be supplemented by people who have the expertise and strong credentials from outside.
0: Right. Largely,
1: these four would be uh, the uh, challenges I can think of. And you mentioned about the PD, whether we need to consider whether the COVID period or not. Uh, multiple opinions exist there. But uh, from a personal perspective, if you look at me, I would consider those financials as well from an overall PD perspective, because for me, uh, COVID is a pandemic, no doubt. But It like any economic downturn that could happen for whatever reasons, it's a trigger. Mm -hmm. So when you build in a model, at some point of time, if you see the 2022 financials or 2021 financials, those numbers are far better than what it was during the COVID period. So you have already got that, you know, averaging out and from there, it will kind of then uh, even out from there. So while there was a dip, no doubt in terms of the earnings or uh, the impact that it had on the liquidity and everything. But the next couple of years are kind of averaging it out, so it would be unfair not to consider the whole cycle and Mm -hmm. just leaving out could potentially mean that you're overestimating the earnings or overestimating some of those financial numbers by excluding the year, which was bad.
0: Fair point, fair point. But this also brings us to pretty much the last point of discussion and perhaps the most important point of discussion that is on capital. The moment we are going to consider the COVID period numbers, it means that you're going to work out your base on a higher note. Although, yes, I do agree with over course of years, it did even out a bit. But then when given a choice, of me uh, taking a lower base and preserving capital to the extent that I can. If as a bank I'm going to be forced or I'm going to be mandated to take start with a higher number, what will be the implication on capital? Today, most of the private sector banks are at a comfortable 15% plus CRR. Will this number come down by about 100, 150 bips, as per your initial estimates, or even more than that? Because some of the banks that I spoke to said. It might trigger another round of billion-dollar fundraisers.
1: I'll address in two parts, uh, Hamsini. See, I think the obvious answer to that is will the transition probably negatively affect the banks' capital in the short term? Mm. Because the impairment charges are completely front-loaded. Mm. It's absolutely right. Mm. Right? There is no uh, two ways about it. And mm. I think RBI, as uh, one of the most prudent regulators, understand that aspect as well. While this mm. also should bring around qualitative benefits in the credit risk management over the long run. So, mm-hmm. what have they done is that they have given you these regulatory backstops mm-hmm. as well, right? Uh, where banks will have to increase the provisioning and the regulatory backstop expect to be higher under new norms. But if the specific asset quality is better, provisioning will go up and the provisioning base also is going to go up. Okay. What will happen there is the bank has given you a kind of a fire window to normalize the impact of this transition, right? So, what they are doing is you can add back the incremental provisions. That is being computed. There are two things that they have done. One, the incremental provision that will be there, you can add back to a common equity tier capital is called the set capital, yes. which provides some relief to the financial institutions, at least for a five year period, a maximum of five year period, you could actually, I mean, do much if much- I
0: can interrupt you here isn't five years too long a rope that we are giving I mean on one hand you do want implementation of it for rightful reasons but Mm -hmm. on the other you're almost like uh, making them function akin to not bringing in implementation at all for an elongated uh, period of time so Mm -hmm. you're you're giving something on one hand and you're rather you're, you're taking the pain away on one hand after giving it on the other doesn't it add up that way?
1: No, it is true. But I think what there is that the transition period is maximum of five years It's potentially possible that you will end up and I understand where you're coming from, where people would say, since I have five years, let me utilize the five years period. Yes, like, I think what they would do is it's just the start of the journey today. I'm sorry. So I think maybe a couple of years down the line, if these provisions are anyway closer to what levels are you talking about in terms of the capital, I think they will ask the banks to kind of, they may not allow you to enjoy that benefit that you will have in terms of the transitional adjustment amount that will happen. Okay. It is something that I think so, because the benefit is for a maximum of five years because not all the banks will be able to do that. Hence, I think they have been very open in terms of providing not more than five years period.
0: Okay. Second
1: is also if you look into it, they are also saying that the transitional arrangement was only applied to the provisions that are new under an ECL accounting model. Okay. When they say new, it means that uh, which do not exist under the accounting approaches applied earlier before when we even adopt the ECL accounting. So I think RBA has done a good job in terms of qualifying some of these. And I know it's just a discussion paper, there could be a lot more inputs that could come through, it yes. will get refined as we move forward. Yes. But uh, I think while it has a short term impact for clearly on the capital, I think there are enough regulatory backstops that the RBA has given for banks to cushion themselves from the shock that you have. So that it doesn't impact their earnings or their earnings per share and everything.
0: Great. Uh, finally, around your estimation on how much capital this could possibly guzzle the whole exercise?
1: Uh, I don't think we have done a crystal study for sure. I, I'll have to check that on that piece. But I think in my personal assessment, I think it may be about anywhere between uh, 200 to 300 basis point kind of at least bare minimum uh, for increased portion that could be there because of the transition impact. Wow. Okay. Okay.
0: Okay. Great.
1: But that's purely a individual view. It's not a... It's, it's not a house view. It's not right. a house view. It's still have to do some actual analytical work around that because the data points, as I said, are the challenge as we speak today.
0: And perhaps even wait for the final uh, uh,
1: circular to come out. It would make more sense because there are a lot of questions that have been asked. So if you see the regulatory backstop as well, what they have stated. So while they're giving that benefit as a regulatory backstop that they're bringing on the table today, but there are certain challenges clearly that has to be qualified, whether it is going to be at a loan level or it's going to be portfolio level. yes, It's going to be at an organization level because we're going to the organization level it will be most aggressive approach leading to the lowest provision. If you're going to the loan level it will be the most conservative approach leading to a higher provision. Somewhere the balance has to be struck. I think there are some unanswered questions and the discussion paper has opened up a lot of uh, thoughts as well and I'm sure banks will go back to them with their own inputs and uh, we shall await the final draft that will come out.
0: Great. But either ways, we are gearing up for a FY25 rollout as we see things.
1: Maybe much earlier, but yes, it looks like 2025-26 from the overall rollout perspective. Or maybe much earlier. In my view, it could be 24-25.
0: Great. I will then connect with you once we have the final paper in hand. It was a fabulous discussion, Arun. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Hamsan. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. We will connect with you once again when we have the final guidelines in place to assess how much banks will have to shell out as capital or whether their books at the current levels allow them to take in for the new provisioning norms bye bye